Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 to 18. Verse 1, So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that no one, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is God's Word. Thank you, Thanks, Inding, for reading God's Word for us. You know, I give thanks to God for the gift of men like Caleb, Chuan-Sin, and Gerald. You know, I love these men. I, and where, if and when they are called and affirmed to serve as elders, I do look forward to working with them as well as with Mark Collins. Uh, but what, what really amazes me is that Transin is able to use any occasion to recruit for children's ministry. You know, it shows his heart for the ministry. And well done, uh, Transin. You're, you're just wonderful in this aspect. Let me change my glasses. Sorry, guys. I'm actually half a century old already, so I, I need my reading glasses. Right. Good morning, beloved uh, in Christ. You know, I really thank God for those of us who are gathering here in person as church. And I pray this morning as we gather together, we can encourage one another with our presence. And to those of us who are viewing online, I'm glad you can join us this morning as well. I know we may have some friends who are visiting with us either in person or viewing online. 
I'd like to warmly welcome you as well. Uh, my name is Oliver. I'm one of the pastors serving the elders team here at Grace Baptist Church. You know, and I, I would like to just uh, welcome you to this service and I pray that you may find rest for your hearts during this time with us. Because we need spiritual sight, uh, let us now pray as we prepare to hear from God's Word. Gracious Father God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Give us eyes of faith so that we may have a clearer sight of Jesus Christ and thereby increase our joy in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How do we live by faith? You know, some of us view living by faith as a kind of a leap of faith, separating reason and faith. We view living by faith as a kind of untethered, untied optimism that somehow, despite the odds, things will always turn out positive. Or as Mark Twain puts it, faith is believing what you know in soul. Is this living by faith? Others claim to live by faith, and yet functionally, we plan and prepare using our own thinking and resources. We let our ethos of our Singaporean pragmatic materialism drive us. We make pragmatic decisions, letting what works guide us. And our priorities are based on things we can see, touch, and plan for. And because we are Christians, we finally tack on a prayer at the end, God, please bless this. Is this living by faith? How do we live by faith and not by sight? Today in Genesis 13, we'll hear the story of Abram and Lot. And we'll see Abram's faith in action. His faith was not a blind faith. Abram can live by faith and not by sight because he grounds his belief in God's faithfulness to keep his promises. So how do we live by faith and not by sight? How can we let this influence our priorities and our decisions? So let us now turn to Genesis 13. If you have Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis 13. And as we look at this story, one key way to understanding this passage is to note that there are two main characters, Abram and Lot. And as a good story goes, when you have two main characters, one serves as a fall to the other. And one way to understand a passage then is to see the interplay between these two main characters, to note the contrast in how they prioritize, how they make decisions between the two main characters, Abram and Lot. You know, relational strife is our experience. Husband, wives, siblings, friends, colleagues, we quarrel amid failure and success, amid poverty and prosperity. Since the fall recorded in Genesis 3, the relationships between humans, they have been broken. And we see in verses 1 to 7 for today, in this passage, uh, this passage records for us the strife between the household of Abram and the household of Lot. 
So let's look at uh, verses 1, as well as 3 and 4, where we see Abram returning. Let me just read that for us as we look at the Bible. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So catching up with the story, we see Abram driven by the promises of God from the comforts of his homeland to an unknown land in Genesis chapter 11 and 12. God spoke and Abram in faith went. And remember what Eugene last week encouraged us? We go because we have faith in the one who makes these promises. But we also see that Abram's faith faltered when God put him to the test of famine in the second half of Genesis 12. He and his family left the land of promise and travelled and took refuge in Egypt. And in this chapter, we see faith dealing with that kind of failure. And this is a crucial lesson for us to learn. You know, there seem to be many books telling us how to be successful, but few write of what to do when you find yourself dealing with failure. What do you do when you are your lowest, when everything has gone wrong? When you have failed God and your wife and your neighbour, what you do in the, when you are your lowest says a lot about the kind of person you are and the faith that you have. And we see that Abram returned to the land of promise in verse 1. After this detour and his failure in Egypt, he went back to the Negev, where he initially made the wrong decision to journey down to Egypt. From there, we see in verse 3, he makes a pilgrimage to Bethel, where he had pitched his tent earlier and built an altar. And there, he called upon the name of the Lord and worshipped God just as he had on previous occasion. My friends, what kind of faith do you have? Does failure drive you away from God? Or does it guide you back to square one? Back to where you started, back to God's presence, so that you can call on the name of the Lord. In Abram's case, failure was followed by repentance, and a return to God. You know, as Christians, as people of faith, we fail just as others do. But the difference is that when we fail, we return to the Lord in repentance, calling on God's name and seeking forgiveness. Next, however, we find that Abram was put to a new test the test of prosperity, and we see the strife that occur amid prosperity. We see this in verses 2 as well as 5 to 7. Again, let me just read this passage for us. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock 
and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. What we see here, we see God had so blessed Abram and Lot that their herds and flocks increased so much that they now face another crisis. They had so much, the possessions were so great that they were unable to stay together. You know, why, why couldn't the land promised by God sustain them? Isn't this land promised to them by God? The second half of verse 7 gives us a clue. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. The descendants of Ham, one of the sons of Noah, they were in the promised land. Abram and his family had not fully possessed the land. And then there was competition by people in the land for resources in the land. As a result, we see quarreling breaking out among their herders over resources. Strife broke out amid success. Honestly, my friends, we, we don't really usually think of prosperity as being a test. We typically think that money will solve many of our problems. But if given the opportunity, we'll discover that riches solve few problems and can quickly become a significant obstacle to our spiritual growth. Wealth exposes and feeds our sinful, idolatrous hearts. And we can easily succumb to temptations. Now think about this. Would you still depend on God for your daily provisions if you are wealthy? Would you be faithful to the calling that you have received from Him? To be sure, you can do a great deal of good with so much money and resources. And if well steward, we can do a lot of good. But there will be great temptation to spend most of it or all of it on our own comfort. In Abram's case, prosperity brought a real test of the character of his faith. How would he resolve this strife in his relationship? How would he resolve this conflict he has with Lot? You know, how do we conduct ourselves in our horizontal relationships? Our relationship with our family, friends, colleagues, church members, and our neighbours. How we conduct our horizontal relationships say a lot about our vertical relationship with God. Would we conduct ourselves in our relationships in ways that will reflect our faith? Will we conduct ourselves and behave in, in our interaction with others in the ways that reflect our trust in God's promises? Why seek reconciliation with a church member in the midst of our conflict, even though I, uh, even though I think my, that I'm in the right? Will I seek the good of my brother by giving of my resources, which I could, could spend for my own comfort or even meet my own need? Would I seek to talk about Jesus Christ to my non-believing friends for their spiritual good, even if it means I risk awkwardness in my future interactions. We can see our faith relationship with God, particularly if we examine our horizontal relationship with others. And there's a British saying that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's, what this means is that you have to try out food to know whether it's good. And this idiom should appeal to us Singaporeans, right? 
and this, uh, this, this, this saying applies even to our faith because the real worth of a person's faith is determined by putting it to the test. The profession of our faith is proven by our practicing of the faith in everyday, very often ordinary events of lives, not just in crisis moments. And in Abraham's case, how could he handle the quarrying? And we know, and we must admit, that quarrying does occur quite often. You know, Caleb was saying that even among the elders, we do quarrel in, in ways in which, uh, as we, we deal with issues in, uh, and look at issues in the church. So how do we handle the quarrying that has risen in the, church, in the family? How would Abram respond in such a way that will prove his faith? Let's then look at verse 8 to 9 where it shows Abram's generosity as his response. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. You know, in some ways, this problem had a really straightforward solution. Abram was the senior in his family. Lot was only his nephew. He could just send Lot away to fend for himself, to make his way in the world. Abram had a right to do that. However, Abram was not interested in grabbing the best land for himself. No, his faith in God led him to an act of incredible generosity. He allowed Lot to choose first. He gave the right to Lot to choose a portion of promised land for him and his family. We see this in verse 9. Why, why is Abram able to do so? It's because his eyes were firmly fixed on the promise of an heavenly inheritance. Abram could afford to give up his rights and earthly desires. In, indeed, a good measure of the health of your faith is the ability to give, is the ability to give generosity, generously and sacrificially, often at cost to yourself. But what was Lord's choice? We see Abraham's choice, but what was Lot's choice? We see this in verses 10 to 13. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the, in the direction of Zohar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Lot, rather than defer, you know, made the first choice. But how did he choose? By sight. Note, he chooses for himself in verse 11 without reference to God. And he chose the area that was like the garden of the Lord in the land of Egypt, towards Zohar, verse 10. And reading this, knowing the background context, you know, we can almost excuse him. You now, having experienced famine and hardship in Genesis 12, Lord would understandably plan and choose 
what would help him survive and do well, just in case you know, adversity comes again. You know, that is what we will do. That's what I, I, normally what I will do. But note what the text says. The text gives this superficial, this delightful description of the land that Lord chooses. And it carries troublesome, ominous undertones. Firstly, Lord compares it, uh, Lord saw that and compares it with the garden of the Lord. It, compare, it conjures up, it gives us this image of fertility. And, and describing the land selected by Lord as the land of Egypt gives the idea of dangerous prosperity. You know, Egypt was the place of compromise from which God had just delivered Abram and Lot. Already appears that Lot would be, have been quite happy to stay in Egypt outside the land of blessing. And remember, the original readers of this account in the time of Moses had just emerged from their captivity in Egypt. They had been just rescued by God from the great Exodus event. And the continual attraction of Egypt was all too real for the original readers of this text. The choice of Lot serves as a warning to those original audience and also to us today. In Genesis 13, 10, Acts in brackets, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, emphasizing the hidden dangers of Lord's choice even more. Lord entrusted his life to a dangerously flawed sense in choosing with his eyes. Lord separates from Abram and journeys east. And again, this text here hints of sin, compromise, and danger. Because if you remember, Adam and Eve went east after they sinned and left the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, just like Cain after them. This theme of journeying east in the early part of Genesis' account shows that the journey eastwards indicates a distancing between God and man. Where did Lot finally settle? Among the cities of the valley and move his tent as far as Sodom in verse 12. You know, where, where was Sodom? Um, you know, in preparation for this, uh, for this uh, message, I was just looking up various commentaries and, and, and archaeological research. And the thing is this, no one quite knows. Archaeologists, scholars, Bible commentators, they disagree on where Sodom and Gomorrah was, whether it was in the land or outside the land. However, just looking at the, this text itself in verse 12, and verse 12 gives us the contrast to Abram and Lot. It seems to point to Sodom as being outside the land. Because if you look at verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, that is within the land of promise, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom, likely just outside the borders of the land of promise. It didn't seem to matter to Lot that the land he was choosing was outside the promised land. His faith did not seem to affect his crucial life decision. His choice put him outside of the promises of God. Once he was on this path of compromise, he progressed comfortably and easily along with it. We see in verse 12 that Lot started out living near Sodom. In verse 13, close to wicked great sinners against the Lord. If we turn the chapter over to Genesis chapter 14, verse 12, 
soon Lot was living in Sodom. Then in Genesis 19 verse 1, Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city, which suggests that now he held a position of respect among the citizens of Sodom. And in the same chapter, in verse 14, his own daughters were pledged to marry inhabitants of the city. What we see here is this. Living by sight involves facing greater temptations to sin and increasingly giving in to compromises. The way of living by sight is fraught with spiritual danger. You know, the, ways, uh, the world's ways often seem to offer greener grass than God's way. You know, Satan's shortcut always gives us the impression of saving us uh, effort and hardship. My friends, if your choices in life are determined by whatever appeals to your eyes, then Satan will make short work of you. All he has to do is hide his hook in a juicy enough bait and we will swallow it hook, line, and sinker. How do you resist Satan's tempting alternatives? Not often in life, we get hooked because we try to nibble the bait just a little. We want to see how close we can get to the hook without getting caught. We want to dance around the margin of sins without getting sucked in. But the trouble is this. As Lord found, one thing so quickly leads to another. Like quicksand, sin has a powerful sinking effect. And before we know it, we'll find ourselves in over our heads. And when we are there, getting out is so much more complicated than getting in. You know, Satan's sin as a social media influencer makes, it, makes matters worse. He easily persuaded Lot that he could live next to the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah without risk. And he could easily convince you that you will not suffer the consequences for your sin. Go ahead, have that affair. You will never get caught. No one will ever discover your hypocrisy. Go ahead, indulge your eyes in pornography. Or cut corners ethically. What matters most in your company is the bottom line, and this matters most. No one will care how you did it. How many people discover to our great loss, as Lot did, that Satan has been a liar from the beginning. His constant goal is to get us believers to turn our backs on the promises of God and to live by sight and pursue rosier dreams. He gets us to believe that the promises of God is not that pleasurable and that living by sight gives us more pleasure. How then can we answer Satan's subtle influences? How can we train ourselves to look past the bait and to see the dangers of the hook? The answer is to live by faith, trusting in God's promises. To fix our eyes on our heavenly inheritance, on God Himself, to delight in God's pleasure on us. In the often quoted uh, illustration in the movie Chariots of Fire, you know, there was a moment that Scottish athlete Eric Lindell defends his focus on running by telling his sister, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. 
is the same all-consuming desire to feel God's pleasure that caused him to refuse to run in the Olympic heats when they were scheduled on a Sunday. But what is not known uh, to many of us is that his decision came with immense pressure from the British team officials and even the Prince of Wales himself uh, tried to pressure him to run. But Lyndale steadfastly refused to compromise because he sought the approval and pleasure of a higher authority. You and I need to learn how to live lives that are motivated by the same desire to please God, to feel God's pleasure, no matter what those around us think. We need to live always coram dio. Coram dio is a Latin uh, phrase that was uh, used in the Reformation. It's a concept of always living before the face and presence of God. That you live your entire life, not only your extraordinary uh, events of your life, but your ordinary everyday life before the face and presence of God, seeking to please Him. Like Joseph and Potiphar's wife tempted him, we need to see that behind the attractive front of whatever Satan is offering lies the dangerous hook. Sin against the God for whom we live. You know, despite all his subtlety, Satan has yet to develop an effective response to the saint who cries out, like Joseph did in Genesis 39.9. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Cultivate a pleasure for God's pleasure in our, on us and, uh, and um, let's flee from sin which seems to be uh, pleasurable at that moment, but brings us great spiritual harm. But the thing is, my friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we are often blind to our blindness. We don't see when we are compromising, when we are living by sight and not by faith. This blindness is precisely why we need our faith community the church. We need others to speak scriptural truths into our lives. You know, as of last weekend, we have only slightly less than half of our membership coming for in-person service. You know, I understand that some of us may have valid reason for staying home. We want to take health precautions in these pandemic times. But I worry for your spiritual health. I pray that a lack of in-person attendance does not mean a lack of meaningful connection with others in the church. So please make use of all means to stay connected in this community. We need one another to live by faith. As a church, we need to be one another's eyes as we seek to live by faith and not by sight. And to speak truths encourages compassion to each other as we encourage one another in our faith journeys. You know, promises encourage our efforts in obedience. I remember that the promise of a holiday trip spurred my efforts to prepare for my primary school living exams. Promises can motivate us to uh, motivate our efforts. And my friends, we have a God who makes and keeps His promises. And, and, and God reveals, has really revealed Himself to us. And we are to respond to Him in trust 
taking him at his word. We see that in contrast to Lot's compromising materialism, Abraham's faith was rewarded with God again renewing his promise. We see this in verses 14 to 18. The Lord said to Abram, after the Lord had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you will see. I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the land and breath of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The one who refused to live by sight but by faith was now told to lift his eyes and to look in all directions. All the land that he could see was to be his. And his offsprings were to be as numerous as the dust of the earth. We see this in verses 14 to 16. And, and what we notice here is that God has now expanded the terms of his promise to Abram in Genesis 12. God invited Abram to walk throughout the land, to see the goodness of the gift that God will give to him. Yet Abram never received full ownership of that property here on earth. As one Bible commentator writes, Like Moses after him, Abram looked to an inheritance ultimately beyond this world. As the Apostle Paul puts it, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. What Paul means here is that we have more than this present life to place our hope in. We have eternal life to hope for. Abram's hope had been something more substantial than a nice piece of property, some prime real estate with white picket fence around it. It was an eternal hope. He was looking for a city with foundations which God himself will build. But how could it be? How could Abram, the failure, the one who fled uh, the famine in, in Canaan to Egypt, be accepted by God? He could only be accepted by faith. Faith casts itself, trusting and resting on the promises of God, and it rests there securely. In another encounter with Satan, the ultimate answer of how Abram could be accepted despite his failure came much later. On that occasion, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their splendor and promised to give them all to Jesus if he would bow down and worship him. Satan was offering Jesus the promised land, all that he could see by his sight without the cross. All the kingdoms of the earth were on offer. And what did Jesus do? Jesus walked away. Why? Now, all this kingdom were Jesus by rights. Why shouldn't he claim them then and there? Because Jesus lived by faith and not by sight. Because Jesus knew that Satan was offering the kingdoms of the earth without, apart from the plan and promises of God. 
which meant possessing them without saving God's people. Jesus' love for the Father and for us was such that He will follow the path of suffering so that He could redeem us. For our sake, Jesus chose the pain-filled way of seeking God's pleasure through obedience to God's plan and promise. My friends, God has really revealed Himself to us in His promises. And we should re- respond to Him in trust, taking Him at His word, living by faith, not by sight. Because we have really seen the partial fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ at His first return. And we now await the complete fulfillment when Jesus Christ returns the second time. At this point, I want to speak to, to my non-Christian friends. Perhaps you're listening in today or here in person. You too can know this joy and happiness of God's pleasure on your life. If you, by faith, trust in God's promise that despite our sin failures, we can receive God's promises. If we place our confidence in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who died on a cross in our place for the forgiveness of our sins and was also raised to life so that we too can experience eternal life if we but trust in Him. Now, if this is your desire, I urge you, my friend, to take God at His word and place your trust in Jesus today. My friends, this story of Abram and Lot served as a warning for us us Christians who are tempted to live by sight. Rather than living by sight and grasping after worldly things, we need to remember that it is God who gives. God who gives salvation and true life and that our eternal destiny rests secure. It depends not on our own merits and efforts, but on a gracious, faithful God who keeps, who makes and keeps His promises so that amid poverty and prosperity, failure and success, we can worship God and trust in His good promises for us. You know, my friends, even as our time draws to a close, ask yourself these two questions. How does God's faithfulness to His promises encourage me to live by faith? How would living by faith and not by sight guide my decisions and priorities in this coming week, not just in the big decisions, but in our ordinary uh, uh, events of our life as we interact with family, friends, and one another. Ask yourself, how would living by faith influence my gathering as church amid the pandemic? How would living by faith impact our giving and priorities for our church budget amid predictions of a coming economic inflation? How living by faith influence my decisions for my children? What are my priorities for my children? Is it just getting good grades? How would living by faith impact how I steward my influence at work? Is it, do I just seek for advancement in my career or would I do the hard work uh, of, of sharing and talking to others about my faith? You know, Lot opted to live by sight. He chose with his eyes and took the easy prosperity offered to him. It was a decision that he will live to regret. 
turning back on a, turning his back on the land of promise means turning his back on God and the pathway to true life and blessing. By contrast, Abram trusted God and persisted in living by faith, trusting the promises of God. You know, there are no guarantees of worldly prosperity or security. There was simply God's promise to be His God and our God, both now and forever. A promise that will ultimately take Christ to the cross for our sakes. That promise was enough for Abram. It should be more than enough for you and me. Let us then live by faith and not by sight, trusting in our faithful God to keep His promises.